Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. It was my great pleasure to have a fascinating conversation with Kanor Chopra, a true pioneer in the legal industry and currently vice president of legal services at Elevate. Now, most of you know Elevate. It's a law company providing software and services at the intersection of business and law. But the real story here is her personal and professional journey. A litigator by training at an AmLaw 50 firm, she made the leap into legal services outsourcing when she founded LawScribe, which is one of the pioneer alternative legal service providers in the industry. Now, to give you a sense, she made the leap to founder in 2004, before the term ALSP was even born, let alone overused. The move from MLaw 50 to founder is not unusual now, but it was unheard of 19 years ago. After selling the company to United Lex, she co-founded Elevate with entrepreneur Liam Brown. We, of course, talk about Elevate and its business model, but of more interest is how she executed on her vision. She wanted to create a place where people can bring their authentic selves to work, and she succeeded at Elevate. Additionally, she's a professor at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles, focusing on innovation and transformation in legal services delivery. In her conversation, she tells us about her transition from law to sales, finding acceptance as a diverse attorney, and her thoughts on the future of the legal services industry. I had a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. It's so great to be here, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks for making time. Where in the world are we finding you? In California? I am in California and I live between Laguna Beach and Palm Springs and currently I'm in Palm Springs. Oh my. Well, it's it's as we're recording this, it's December <laughs> and it's and it's a winter storm here in Chicago, so I'm very jealous. <laughs> yes, it's uh cooler than it normally is in Palm Springs, but uh still bright and sunny. So, yes, I will take this weather. Yeah, I'm not crying any tears for you. <laughs> uh well, thanks for making time. Let's start by talking a little bit about your uh, your your personal professional journey. You trained as a lawyer and you started as a litigator at a couple of great firms. I did. But in 04, you made a decision which is not unusual these days, but going back into 04 was certainly unusual. You jumped and you launched LawScribe. For those of our listeners that may not have the memory some of us have, tell us what LawScribe was. Sure, absolutely. So um, LawScribe was one of the, I'd say, pioneer outsourcing companies, which started, like you said, in 2004. And at that time, there were no alternative legal service providers or law companies like we know them today. And interestingly, when LawScribe started, there was two other pioneering companies that started within six months of LawScribe. So we really were, I'd say, pioneers, um, true to the name of this podcast, in the legal services outsourcing space. So that's such an interesting decision to make. There were no examples to follow. You're moving into, you're, you're, you're creating an industry, basically. Talk a little bit about sort of the thought process. Were you just young and assumed it was going to work okay? Or <laughs> Absolutely. No, it was, a, that's a great question. And it, and it really goes back to, I'd say, even kind of when I made the decision to go to law school initially. So, you know, I was, when I was at UCLA undergrad, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up. 
I did a business minor and I did a women's studies major. And my fam, my parents, um, being traditional South Asian parents, said, yeah, Kano, you can do whatever you want when you grow up, as long as it's a lawyer, doctor, or an engineer. <laughs> and uh, I, I had no idea what engineering involved. I was extremely squeamish around even just a little bit of blood on my hand. And so I thought, okay, with this background, with this major, I can go into law school. So I went to law school, not really wanting to go to law school and be a lawyer, but I had a great experience at Loyola Law School. And when I graduated, I recall advice one of my law professors had given me, my ethics professor, and she said, Knur, you know, when you graduate and you take a job, be sure not to take just the first paying job. Do something that you're interested in really want to do. And I'll say, look, I think that law students today are much more aware than I was back in 1998, or many of us were, right? They just have so much more information and have grown up very differently with access to that. And so, of course, I did not listen to my ethics professor. And I took the of course not. paying job. And I was at a, I was at a small uh, mid-sized firm called Nossaman. And it was actually a really good firm. It's a great litigation firm. Absolutely. And like people who want to practice law, I got a lot of great experience. I was able to go to court. I was doing hearings. I was involved in trials. I mean, something that obviously first, second, third years don't really get that type of experience today. So great firm, culturally a really good fit for me. But I thought bigger was better. So I said, okay, I need to go to a bigger firm. Again, coming from my kind of family, you know, family talking to me. And so I decided to go to another really good firm called Fulbright. Fulbright, now called Norton Rose Fulbright. So I went there and it, it felt different. It wasn't as great of a fit for me personally. And that's one thing I would, I always, you know, I speak to a lot of law students and, and young lawyers and say, you know, always, it, it is important to, to look at, you know, what you're interested in and what you like. And often you don't know that when you're young, but really to look at what's a good fit for you. And so it wasn't a great fit, but it, it was a great, very good firm. And again, I was getting good experience, but a couple things. So I was a fifth year attorney at Fulbright. And they talk about kind of the five-year itch. And so I was like, do I really like doing this? I mean, I was making a lot more money, which was fabulous. I thought about, okay, if I stay on this path, I would need to become a partner at a law firm. And back then, there weren't as many options as we have now. And so that meant I would have to bring in business. And ironically, considering what I do today... I was totally afraid of having to bring in business. And so uh, how times have changed, huh? Absolutely. So so that was a, one element of it was I don't really enjoy what I'm doing. I don't want to have to bring in business. And I think what was more significant for me was some of the inefficiency that I saw. So I saw many customers, clients that we were supporting struggling. Some could pay their bills. They had insurance. So, so you know, they're on the defense side. They had insurance covering their matters. And so it didn't impact them in the ways that it impacted other clients. So I had one client who was a really good construction company, had gone and built some really good restaurants for a large entertainment organization, and they brought a breach of contract suit against this entertainment organization. But they didn't have insurance to cover, right? They had to pay out of pocket. Even though they had a really credible matter, it was painful for them to bring this matter because they had to keep spending money against this big conglomerate who had tons of money behind them to kind of push back on this small construction company. And as I was supporting this client, I was doing document review, right? We all hear about that. And back then, it was paper. We didn't have our e-discovery. Back in the day, there were boxes of pieces of paper, absolutely. And there were thousands and thousands of, of documents and millions that I had to review manually. And so 
I felt really bad for this client because they were paying four or $500 an hour for me to review these documents. And I thought there has to be a better way. I also saw that this law firm in LA in expensive real estate was operating their, their finance and accounting, their marketing, their back office functions, again, in a very expensive manner. And I thought there must be a more efficient way for them to run their businesses, especially some of these back office operations. So with that, I decided, you know, I wanted to do something different. I spoke to my dad about it, my family about it. My mom was horrified that I would leave <laughs> a fifth year salary, which is nothing compared to what's happening today. Um, but it was still a lot of money at the time. It was. It was. And um, but my dad was an entrepreneur. And so he said, well, you know, ITO, business process outsourcing, IT outsourcing are really taking hold in India. It's becoming very popular. Why don't you do something illegal? So that's how in 2004, I decided to, and, and my dad had, a, had, being an entrepreneur, has a clothing company, he has offices in India. So he said, why don't you just go to India? We have offices out there, start something in India. So, you know, just, of course, I would just, as an attorney who's never started a business, just go to India and start up a brand new company in in a, an industry that didn't exist, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and the rest is history. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, thank you, dad. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, like, you know what? I should have known all along that law school wasn't really the direction I should have gone. When I was in elementary, my dad used to get me video games from Japan when he used to travel. And I used to charge people. These were those individual like Nintendo video games. I would charge my classmates in elementary 25 cents a game. And I made a lot of money because back then. (laughs) (laughs) So I should have known. Uh, You should have known. So you're understating, I think, the challenges that faced you by saying off and running. I mean, you're a diverse woman in an industry, particularly at the time, which was still heavily dominated by white, straight males, creating an industry that didn't exist to sell to corporations and law firms that had to sort of scratch their head and go, who are we talking about? What? What? What is this idea? I mean, yes, I know there are others that sort of started about the same time. But talk a little bit more about some of the challenges you faced and how you overcame them. Sure. So I say some of the in kind of the business challenges were one, I was an attorney, so did not have a business background. Two, I, I was building it by myself and I was family funded. And so it was very challenging for me. And, and being an attorney, I was looking to kind of perfect my solution before taking it to market. Of course. Yeah. So I went and I hired people and I trained them and I had a big bench of people and I didn't have the clients yet. Right. So I was spending a lot more that I was making. And so that was that was challenging and something that I think business people would have approached very differently. And I wish I'd had a partner who had a business background to help me build it. And so it was it was stressful and it was challenging. And I also felt bad. You know, I was taking financing from my family at that time and, and I didn't know anything about kind of the private equity world. So there were kind of the business sides and the business challenges. And then I say personally, it was interesting because I don't know, I guess as a woman, as a South Asian woman, I didn't see that as an impediment for myself. I just kind of, you know, I was taught by my parents that if I worked hard, I would be successful. And I kind of took that and I, I believed in that. And so, you know, I, I had the confidence to go and talk to people. I started to create 
a really strong network, you know, in the legal space. I went to every legal conference uh, and, and exhibited there. I, I, I created a really, really strong network. I think my challenge from a business perspective was that I wasn't able to build a big enough platform for some of the clients that I was meeting. You know, I became really friendly with one of the head of legal ops at, at Oracle, who then um, went to other companies and became a customer of mine in other companies that I built. But, you know, they, she said, Kenora, I love you, but you just don't have a big enough product. So, you know, that was a lot of my challenge. I'd say from a diversity perspective, the personal challenge I had, which then had different versions of it in, in kind of subsequent companies was being a lesbian. That's where I'd felt just personally within my company, I couldn't be a complete person. So I was out to my colleagues in the US, but because of some of the experience I had with my family and my South Asian culture not fully accepting me, I was really afraid to be out um, to my colleagues in India. So when I initially started uh, LawScribe and, and actually ran LawScribe, I wasn't out to my colleagues. And that's where most of my team were, right? We were providing legal uh, outsourcing support um, across litigation contracts and IP through resourcing in India, because that's what efficiency play was, I'd say, back then. So that was I'd say, my own personal challenge. And so I think that held me back quite a bit until kind of you know, fast forward to Elevate, where I've been able to bring my authentic self to work. Uh. It's a long journey, but a, certainly a successful one at the end of the day. So let me back up a second. So you said one of the things that made you unhappy about being a lawyer and moving into was the need to sell work. Yes. So you go and start a business. And I mean, obviously, in you're selling your own vision. You're selling yourself. You're selling whether it's recruiting people over in India to come work on your bench or clients. How did you get over that reluctance to be involved in sales that you had when you were a lawyer into when you're an entrepreneur? Is it just the imperative to put food on the table, so to speak? Sure. So when I started Law Scribe, I thought, so my dad and my, my dad's company, he runs with his brother. And my uncle is the one who's outgoing, friendly, like charming. And so he's the salesperson. And my dad is the behind the scenes. He's the quieter one. He does production and operations. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to be like my dad. You know, I will run the operations. I'll run the business and I'm going to have other people come in and do sales. Wrong. In an industry that doesn't exist and that you're creating and you're evangelizing where you need to show your credibility, being the president, CEO, founder of this company, I ended up having to be at the forefront. So even though I had hired individuals to help on the sales side, ultimately, I needed to be the one talking to clients. And so as I mentioned, I'd go to conferences, I started to create a network. So it was because I needed to put food on the table that I had to be at the forefront. And I'm an introvert by nature, I prefer not to be at the forefront, but I, I, I had to. And I became good at it and I be, and, and I created a fabulous network. And I'd say that network that I started to create when, you know, when I was practicing and when I was running my business is what has led to a significant, you know, part of my success, you know, subsequently, including at Elevate. So with any startup, there are ups and downs and there's moments when you think this isn't going to work and moments when you think it's going to be great. Where was that tipping point for you? You had LawScribe for six years before selling it to United Lex. Where was that tipping point for you where you thought this is going to work? Did you always have that confidence it was going to work? So, you know, I'd say it worked and it didn't work. So I, I see LawScribe as a success and maybe a personal failure because I wasn't able to get it to the scale that I wanted to myself. So I guess it worked and it didn't work. But I'd say the, in terms of LawScribe working, I knew it was a good idea and I knew that it would work at some point. 
And I think there were various times during our journey where I was like, okay, this is the year, right? You have kind of the subprime crisis. You see, you know, there's a lot of data now that needs to be reviewed, a lot of document, there's a lot of litigation. So, you know, anytime now, anytime now. And so the markets, you know, was becoming more and more interested, but it just wasn't the right time. And so as I was building Law Scribe, and I, as I mentioned, I got to that point where I needed to be of a certain scale. Like I knew that at some point, the industry would shift. But unfortunately, I was not able to continue to build, elevate itself until it got to that point, because I would have had to raise capital. I would have had to expand my business to be able to bring in a lot of the customer base that I was targeting because I was targeting, you know, the global 1000 Fortune 500 companies. And so in 2009, I realized you know, a lot of it was through that customer that I mentioned who said, hey, Kanura, you're just too small. Oracle needs to work with big companies was that I needed to make a decision around whether I was going to try to expand myself, which I just didn't have the confidence or background to do, or whether I would sell. And so I wanted to keep things going, which is why I then decided to sell and I ultimately sold to United Lux. And then you worked with United Lux for a couple of years, I presume, as part of the the sale agreement before uh, co-founding Elevate Services. What led you to co-start Elevate? Absolutely. So when I was at United Lux, one of the great things was that I had the platform. I had the platform to be able to bring in the big name customers and I was able to do that. I just missed building things. One of the things I realized was now I had only become a salesperson, which I loved because I actually believed in the product I was selling, which is another reason that I was good at it and I enjoyed doing it. And I really missed building a business. And I also thought there was still more to do in the industry. So I had reached out to Liam Brown who built Integrion, another, you know, at that time, you know, very successful company in the in the space and reached out on LinkedIn. I knew he and I both lived in LA and I said, hey, I'd love to know what you're up to. I know you're an entrepreneur. You know, I'm also in LA. Can we meet up for lunch? He said, absolutely. I mean, immediately responded. We had never met, but again, we knew of each other. So we went out to lunch and he said that, hey, I'm going to do something again in the legal space. And at first, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue in, in this space, although I thought there was more to do just because there's so many competitors out there. And so I was a little taken aback and I said, really, aren't you concerned because you know you built you know a very successful company in this space? I'm coming from a company or I'm at a company at this time that is providing these services. And he said, well, think about it, Knorr. I mean, what do you think the opportunities are? Do you think customers are getting everything that they're looking for? And you know, as I thought about it, he was right. I mean, these companies that existed had built these in-the-box solutions very successfully, but things were changing. We had technology that was producing a lot of data. And with that data, there were a lot of insights that were going to lead to different types of solutions that customers would need. And so we said, hey, there's still a long roadway of what customers need and the services and solutions that we can provide. And I agreed with him. And so all of this was at that first lunch. And we also were talking about kind of my personal journey, because as I mentioned, I had not been out truly at Law Scribe. When I sold to United Lex, I also wasn't completely out of the closet. Um, and I had some uncomfortable conversations, you know, once I was. So when I spoke to Liam at that lunch and I was talking about my partner and the third person, he said, well, what does she do? And kind of my, you know, shoulders lowered. And I was like, wow, I can, I can be who I am. And it's interesting considering this is only like 10 years ago and the fact that I was still nervous about being able to be out. So I thought, okay, maybe there's something here from a business perspective and I can build a company where 
people can bring their whole authentic self to work. And so I decided, you know, at the end of that lunch that I really wanted to do this with Liam was build a customer focused company where we were listening to what our customers needed in terms of building out a solution and where our colleagues would be able to bring their authentic selves to work, which would mean they would be able to be extremely successful. That's awesome. That's incredible. And so you guys started and Elevate's been around now for 10 years. Give us a little bit more about Elevate and its services and, and how you differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Sure, absolutely. And yeah, Elevate's, it's been exciting. So the company's been around for 11 years and we started supporting customers about 10 and a half years ago. And, you know, we are a law company. We provide software and services to support the business of law. And, you know, it's really focused on providing, you know, efficient legal services. And a lot of the work that we do kind of on the services side, we provide consulting around process optimization or strategic planning for law departments and law firms. And just to, you know, to be clear, we support both law departments and law firms because we believe both are benefiting from, you know, running their law departments or firms more efficiently. We provide a range of services, which I break out, I'd say, into three categories. So one is managed services. So that is where we help manage the outcome around services for you know, litigation, contracts, M&A, compliance, IP, immigration. The second would be staffing. So that's where customers just need pure people, like you know they need a secondment, somebody's out on paternal on a parental leave. And so we provide them with the people. And the third, which I'd say has had a couple different iterations, is the practice of law. So we, until last year, had an affiliated law firm where we could integrate the practice of law into our solutions. And then in 2021, we obtained our ABS, or Alternative Business Structure License in Arizona. And so now Elevate has a law firm that it owns in Arizona. And that sounds like a lot, of services that we provide. And really what we wanted to do and what I've wanted to do since I was running LawScribe was to provide, you know, a holistic solution to customers across a range of needs and to be able to address any of the challenges that they may have. And so that's what we've built with Elevate with this focus on both, you know, legal operations as well as legal services around consulting technology and services. And the last piece of it is technology. We use third-party technology as well as have our own ELM platform, which has various modules that the customers can plug into for intake, workflow, contract management, RFP management, and e-billing layered with analytics and dashboards. That's awesome. Your journey sort of covers the arc of law company, alternative legal service provider, whatever the term it is you want to play from non-existent back in the 03, 04, 05 period to, you know, what did I see a Thomson Reuters study last year that put the market for ALSPs at like $14 billion. Give us your perspective as you look back over that arc. What have been the drivers that have led to that level of acceptance among buyers of, of legal services? What's causing that growth? So, look, I think that there's so many reasons for that growth. And I'd say one is if you just look at the traditional law firm model. And so law firms, their model has been based on the billable hour. And with that, they focus on billing hours, right? And so there hasn't been kind of an incentive or efficiency really built into the model. And so when you look at the early 2000s, where you had the first iteration of law companies coming into the space, you know, they were looking at point solutions around how to take certain pieces of legal services and do them in a more efficient way, right? And so you saw e-discovery and document review. When I started LawScribe, it was, you know, how do we use labor arbitrage 
to provide services in a more efficient manner, right? Efficiency meant outsourcing to a lower cost geography. So back then, you know, and you mentioned, you know, whatever kind of the term of, of the year is for companies like ours, back then it was legal process outsourcing. It was labor arbitrage. It was creating some process around it layered with some technology. Then it kind of evolved into, you know, more technology um, and insights. We started to be called legal service providers or alternative legal service providers. Now we have more data and analytics. We're actually through insights, providing more advice around how law departments and law firms can operate more efficiently. And so, you know, I think a lot of the, the reasons have been, one, law firms kind of abdicated a lot of these types of services and opportunities to companies like ours to come in. We started using technology in a more effective and efficient way. We just looked at what customers' needs were. We really were customer-focused and, and we were incentivized to do so because customers also had their own pressures. And, and ultimately, they are the ones who influence kind of how this industry has evolved. They started using law companies because their budgets were under pressure. They needed to figure out how to do things better and more effectively. I mean, going into next year, that is even more critical. Companies have unfortunately had to lay off thousands and thousands of people and they still have as much, if not more work to do. So some of those similar challenges existed even 10 years ago, but, you know, different versions of it. So, you know, companies needing to figure out how to how to do more with less. And so companies like ours came about, saw an opportunity and through right sourcing, through better use of technology, through better use of process and analytics, have been able to create and take a big piece of this pie in the legal industry. Has the pandemic and the impact it's had on remote working, technology solutions, et cetera, had an impact on your industry? Absolutely. I'd say there's kind of pros and cons to it. So I think the the benefits are that, you know, a lot of companies became more comfortable with remote working, with work being done out of an office. Companies had to become more comfortable with technology and started to, I think, then embrace it. So I think that helped our industry. The negative has been that a lot of companies now are not requiring, law firms and companies are not requiring people to come into the office. So we've seen this whole, you know, war over talent. And I think a lot of that has increased because companies can employ people outside of the office and remotely and technology has helped with that. So I think it's um, helped with an uptick in services and it's also created more competition for talent. So look out over the next few years and give us your crystal ball. Where does Elevate fit and where does the industry go over this this, uh, this upcoming theoretical bump in the economic road that we're about to embark on? Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be a bump in the road. And I think there's a lot more to do, right? I think that we still have a long horizon of what we can do to support customers to better provide legal services. And so I'd say that as an industry... I see the law firm ownership opening up. I think we're starting to see a little bit of that in the U.S. with Utah, with Colorado, Illinois, obviously Arizona. We'll see what California ends up doing. But I think that law firm ownership will open up. And with that, there'll be better access to the services that companies like Elevate provide, but through law firms. I think there'll be more access to justice um, initiatives as a result. I think that there will be more and more, I'd say, use and acceptance of technology. I think that e-discovery has, I wouldn't say mastered, but they've done a lot and are very advanced and mature around use of AI. What we'll see, I'd say, we're seeing more of that in contracts, but it's not perfect. I think we'll see more and more technology improvement to a point where I think you'll still need humans in the loop, but we'll see more application of AI to 
bring efficiency to these various processes, including in contracts and in compliance. We'll see more insights. So we have a lot of data, but I think a lot of companies either don't know how to access or use or analyze that data. But with that data, we'll be able to make better decisions around you know, how to negotiate contracts or how to move litigation matters forward. So I think we'll see a lot more of that. So a lot of, better, say a lot better use of data and technology. I think people will become more comfortable with a global workforce. You know, one thing that always, you know, is still is interesting to me is that often when we're, we're talking to customers, we're like, oh, you know, we have global resources, but are you okay with services being done in, you know, India or Philippines or Poland? And ultimately, I don't think that'll be a conversation. So global workforce, and it will be, like, hey, we just need a problem to be solved. You guys solve it however you want to solve it. And so I think some of the discussion around where it's being done will be irrelevant. I mean, think about when you call AT&T today, you don't ask them, you know, to talk to someone in a specific geography because you only want someone in a specific geography helping you out in a matter. And so I think we'll see more of that. So I think Elevate will just follow that. I think, you know, we're going to focus on listening to our customers and providing them, you know, with the suite of solutions we have and, you know, pivoting and evolving as needed because we still want to make sure that we're innovating and listening to what our customers' needs are. Absolutely. Last topic, uh, I know we're, we're sort of at time, but I know you also teach law school. You teach at Loyola. How do you enjoy teaching and what are the key messages you're trying to communicate to the young people becoming lawyers? Absolutely. Well, I'm very excited about teaching law school. And I think that many law students and graduates dream about teaching. I just never thought it would happen as I didn't have expertise in, you know, topics like ethics or civil procedure. And honestly, they were a little dry for me anyway. But I got the opportunity through various speaking engagements that I was doing, as well as through one of my former colleagues at Nossman and friend uh, Katrina Lee, who teaches at the Moritz College of Law. I saw that many, many people were teaching about kind of innovation and legal. And I was like, wow, I've, I've kind of you know, built a company in this space and I've evangelized about it. You've lived it. I've lived it. So let me create a course. And so through Katrina's help and some other people's help, you know, I created uh, my course on innovation and transformation in legal service delivery. So really kind of everything we've been talking about. So what are the changes in the industry? What do companies expect? What's happening in the world of legal operations and in the use of technology and in right sourcing? And so I tell my students, uh, this is my second year teaching at Loyola Law School that I just completed. And I tell my students, if you learn one thing in this class, it's just as you go out into practice, wherever you work, it's to work and think differently. As you're approaching a matter, looking at, is this the best way that I'm doing this? Or is there a better way that I can support my customers? And so if they walk away with that, I'm happy. And for them to just know they have other options, right? They don't have to go just the traditional route of law firm, in-house or government. There are various types of law companies out there that would love to have you know, fabulous law school talent. So do you ever get the question, I, I teach spot classes around as well, and I sometimes get the question as we're talking about transformation and thinking differently, and I sort of share similar messages. I sometimes get the question of, okay, my plan is to go to work for a big law firm. What if they don't want to listen to me? What if they don't embrace change? How do I manage that? Do you ever get a question like that? And if so, what's your answer? I do. I do. And so I say a couple things. One is there has to be some champion within the firm. There has to be one person that's going to listen to what you have to say. So try to find that person, right? And at least connect. And then two is that get the experience that you need because there is a certain level of experience you need going out, you know, as a new, new attorney, get that experience, build up some of the skill sets that we've, we've talked about in class. So some of these, you know, we talk about what the T-shaped professional 
figure out what you like. You know, are you good at project management or entrepreneurship or technology or, or, or finance? Build some of those up and then scan the horizon because there are so many options out there. So get the experience, find a champion, but ultimately look for another company that will value that. And I'll say law firms are challenging. They are challenging. Um, I do think they will change, but you just have to have a little bit of patience around it and figure out if that's the right fit for you. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great answer. Well, we've gone a little bit over. I appreciate your time. It's been fascinating to hear your journey. You are truly one of the pioneers in the industry. And thanks for making time to share your story with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.